Good evening, everybody, and welcome aboard for another episode of What's Your Issue? This is episode number four here for uh, Monday night, the 29th of October. We'll be talking about the books that shipped last Wednesday, the 24th of October. And here with me, as always, I have my stalwart companion, Mr. Stephen Laura. How are you doing tonight, Stephen? I'm doing good. All right, well, let's go ahead and get right into it. It was a pretty busy shipping week. Uh, I don't know. I don't, did you feel it was a good week overall, Stephen? It was all right. I mean, it wasn't. I don't think much comics came out this week for me. Yeah, I felt it was a little. I mean, we're going to talk about okay. it. I, I didn't. I didn't think it was a great shipping week. It was like. Yeah, uh, it wasn't great this week. It was only a few. Weeks. Issues that were good, I think. Yeah, yeah, it was. Uh, it seems to be going every other week for these last few weeks, where there's a really strong week, and then kind of what I would call a weak week. Um, but uh, yeah, so let's start by talking about the first of those issues in our rundown tonight: uh, Spider Geddon number two. Now, I put this, I put this issue on the rundown for me, but you also read it, correct? Yeah, I did. So of course this was uh, so this was actually one of the ones that I added to my reading list um, because I pulled it from yours so we'd have a little mm-hmm. extra to talk about. Um, now that all being said, I'll, I'll also preface it by saying I, I, I've never been uh, all about this whole Spider Geddon thing, like this uh, Marvel effort to kind of make a Bat Family kind of equivalent in the Marvel universe. Um, but uh, it does feature my favorite villain, my favorite Spider-Man villain of all time, Moreland, um, who is a John Romita Jr. Uh, creation, if I'm not mistaken. Um, oh, well, John Romita Jr. was doing the artwork at the time. I think JMS, I think he was actually created when uh, when JMS was writing Spider-Man. Um, so, I, I am a big fan of this character. I'm not so much a big fan of the whole Inheritors shtick, um, with, you know, it's not just Moreland, but it's also his family. Uh, and I think I think we didn't talk about Spectacular Spider-Man last week, which was where yeah. uh, Moreland came back. Uh, so uh, in this issue, you have uh, the sp- I don't know what you call them, the Spider Seven, I guess, um, facing off against two of Moreland's uh, siblings. Um, mm-hmm. So you had, you had uh, Otto Octavius, who's now the Superior Octopus, which I think is pretty cool. Uh, Miles Morales. Yeah. Uh, Spider-Punk, Spider-Gwen, Spider-Woman from, I guess she's from another Earth, from Earth-982, and then Octavia Otto, uh, the Otto-Octavius equivalent, essentially, from Earth-1104, and Spider-Ham. And let me say specifically, I'm not a huge fan of Spider-Hams at all. Um, Oh, I like him a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Uh, So the title of this issue, you had Christos Gage... Jorge Molina on pen- yeah, Christmas Gage on story. Jorge Molina on pencils. Jay, uh, uh, crazy mix-up of multiple inkers. Jay Lyston, Craig Young, and Robert Pogge. Uh, I believe that's right. Yeah, a Poggy, uh, and on inks. And then David Curiel on colors. Uh, the great Travis Lanham on letters. So, uh, excuse me. So, you really kind of had a tour de force... On talent, I'm sorry, my allergies are going off. It's okay. Mm-hmm. 
right, we'll continue trying to get through it. So I really had high expectations for this issue, and, and based on a story by Dan Slott. Uh, unfortunately, I just felt like the execution no. <laughs> left a little to be desired. Uh, on, on artwork, uh, Jorge Molina's art uh, is always um, well-detailed. Uh, I didn't necessarily like all of the... Uh, all of the shapes that he created, um, like it, uh, just, uh, it was super crazy about the way that he drew, uh, miles and, and the colors are, they're very stylized, but they're also very saturated, which doesn't give a lot of room for a ton of variants. Uh, I do kind of like some of the, uh, specular lighting that they put it in some of the scenes with like the dimensional travel stuff, uh, popping in. Uh, it was it was a really good render. There's one uh, brother of the inheritors who um, has become I forget, what they, I forget what they call him like a weave master or a web master or something. He's he's taken I think and I think there used to be another character who was in this position and I think this guy relieved them uh, on Loom World Earth zero zero one. But the basic gist of the story is that uh, these the spider seven uh, show up. Um, on, on one of these Earths or one of the dimensions where uh, these two siblings of the Inheritors are trying to make their escape. They're also trying to... They've also gotten a hold of Otto Octavius's cloning machine, even though the other spiders try to tell Octavius not to build or activate these things um, because if they ever fell into the Inheritors' hands, then it would be game over. Um, that is exactly what has happened, and they are trying to resurrect one of their other siblings uh, so that they can make the family restoration complete. Uh, there's a lot of arguing here. I will say Christmas Gage's uh, kind of humor, which is which is a little dark humor in this, is uh, is kind of spot on. Um, I do like the little bit of bickering that there is, uh, like with like uh, how how Otto in the middle of this fight, uh, which is a which is a big fight because again the inheritor should be a significant threat. Um, you know Otto's ego still reigns supreme, and he's concerned about how how he is viewed or. Um, the fact that he be re- be regarded as a genius, um, and then so and so we go through the story of, of there kind of being this big fight, uh, and then um, they uh, they open a dimensional bubble portal. Uh, the other spiders escape. Gwen, Stacy, uh, Spider Gwen stays behind to try uh, and hold the inheritors in place. Uh, until Otto Octavius' uh, countdown sequence uh, expires and this lab of his that they're in uh, self-destructs. So um, part of my problem with this story is it's, it just falls a little flat when... And, and it, it's going to sound like a hypocrite because I'm not a huge Peter Parker fan anymore. Just like I... Like, I'm ready to move on and go to some other stories. I'm not ready for the whole world to be Peter Parker-centric. Um, but but this story, I feel like, falls a little flat when you don't have Peter involved. It's like, what's what's the point if, like, your lead spider isn't there? Um, and then it gets into this whole thing, subject, too, of, like, when you do these events and you have things going on, like, in 15 different issues, and, um, you know, you kind of require the readers to to sprawl pretty widely to get together the whole story together. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, so there's, so there's that. I felt like Miles, who is one of my favorite characters in the Marvel Universe, 
felt like his lines and his usage in the story just weren't super effective. Um, I felt he yeah, they weren't. Yeah, I agree, they weren't effective. Cool. Yeah, yeah. So I felt like he could have played a, a more prominent uh, part. Um, you have, uh, you know, as you get into the end of the story, this is where I think it kind of unraveled for me because I, I really feel like of, of of everything, they just failed to stick the landing. Uh, Otto gets back into uh, the Superior Spider, uh, the Superior Spider-Man costume, which I just like. We had so many years of the Superior Spider-Man with with Otto's brain controlling Peter Parker's body. Like I don't, I, th- I like this isn't what I want to see resurrected in this, right? I I love Otto, the notion of Otto Octavius being um, the Superior Octopus and being in this new green, black, and white uniform. Like that, that is awesome, um, and I would like him to to, to stick with that. Uh, there's a lot of conversation in this about, you know, should they be killing the inheritors? Otto's feeling being that Parker, you know, let them live, and that's a severe mistake. Um, and so the spiders are kind of factionalized between some of them who are going off to recruit, uh, you know, heroes who they feel can help them, uh, you know, fight an honorable fight, and, and Otto and people who have lined up with him who are going off to get people who they think uh, will kill. Um, there's, there's a brief flash to, a, it looks like, I mean, it's, it's a Spider-Man. It looks like, and I don't think it's Kane Parker in there. Is that, the, is that the one that has the, the Spider-Man outfit from the MCU movies? Um, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> so, so there's, there's a Spider-Man outfit in here that not from the movies, but I guess from the video game, it seems like the, the blue, uh, in red, but with the white spider on the chest. Oh yeah, that is from those video game. Okay, all right, all right. yeah. And it was—it's kind of like a cameo. It's like they—they they, like Otto has like these monitors up, and he's looking for these spiders to recruit. And he passes by this one Spider-Man variant, and he goes—he just goes, "Huh, interesting." And then he moves on. So it's like it's a nod to the video game, which, which I guess is is fine. Um, but uh, you know, there's the whole thing of like it seems like every time Gwen. Is utilized in one of these in one of these Marvel Universe sprawling uh, issues. It seems like her shtick is always to sacrifice herself, uh, which feels a lot kind of like how the Flash is used in the DC universe. You know, Barry Allen seems to always be the one willing, you know, willing and needing to sacrifice himself to solve some great, you know, cosmic crisis. Um, but and and so I was a little bothered by that feeling repetitive but then but then it doesn't stick right you get to the end of the comic and 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 she's actually alive she just doesn't know well i mean it says she's on earth 3109 and maybe that has some significance but so overall i mean in particular when they did that i felt like well you just kind of ripped the carpet out from underneath me from my my feeling that any of this has any consequence right so um, which is my kind of whole problem with them regurgitating this event again anyway so uh, again, Jorge Molina's art, now that I'm looking at it again, is, is really good. Uh, David Curiel's colors are, are really sharp. This is, Spider-Man is one of those things that I feel for a colorist is a lot like uh, getting to work Green Lantern in the DC Universe. Like, getting to, getting to work in a, with a character that has such a color-rich ecosystem um, with the deep reds and the deep blues, uh, I would think would be a colorist dream. Um, and Curiel does a really good job of, uh, of bringing those to light. But again, the problem with this though is when it's when it is kind of that oversaturated color palette, right? It's kind of 
it's kind of like an OLED screen, right? Uh, like Samsung does on their phones, kind of. Uh, it's it's exactly that. It's super saturated. Um, it's it it drips with rich color, but it, to me, it makes it hard to pull off any really effective shading um, and shadows. So, I don't know, man. What did you what did you think about this comic? I thought it was okay. Um, I didn't. I wasn't much of a big fan of uh, Miles trying to argue with Otto Octavius because Otto Octavius made more sense than what Miles was saying. And because they did um, the inherit, they, they didn't kill their inheritors the first time and now they escaped and uh, they're causing havoc again. So it does make sense to try to kill them off this time. And it just didn't make sense that Miles. <laughs> Well, it, I, I guess, mean, his argument didn't make sense. I guess, and I, and I, and I, and I don't, and it, I, I probably track on that with it. It makes it again. It it puts a burden on the reader, right? It makes sense if you think of this as being the post Civil War II Miles Morales, where the whole big thing was that the, the guy who could see the future crimes people were going to commit had seen that Miles Morales killed Captain America, and, and yeah, but Miles like you know, like, uh, sheared away from that, right? That didn't actually happen, and that's not what he actually did. But I'm sure that, that that concept that he could ever follow a path that would result in him killing somebody like Captain America is a big part of his character makeup now. So, so for that aspect, it makes sense. But again, that's a bit of a stretch, because again, you're putting that burden on the reader to have read, like, all this past stuff and have all that connective tissue. At the end of the day, I rated this book a 6.0 out of 10. Um... The, the art's very solid, um, not perfectly in my wheelhouse as far as what I particularly like, but I felt like the story was a bit uh, not headed in the direction that I want. And, and I guess probably strategically, when I talk about Marvel as a business, this this is not what I put Christos Gage and Jorge Molina on, right? Like, that is some high, I mean, you got Christos Gage, that's a big high-powered talent who... Yeah, he's a good writer. I just, I don't know, for some reason this one wasn't his strong suit. Well, I think I think it's. I'm sure he got editorial direction, right? On, I mean, it's a it's a, yeah. a mini series and it's a, an event, so I'm sure he's being told, you know, where this should go. But I'm like, again, it, yeah, I think it's supposed to be Dan Slott's story, and since Dan Slott went off to do Fantastic Four and Iron Man, right. they put him to take part of the start the story. Yeah. So, uh, so talk to us about what if Thor number one. You're you're making a uh, you're making a career out of reading these what if books, man. Oh <laughs> well, I didn't like the last one. It was like they had a what if ghostwriter, I didn't like that one. Um, but I really did like this one. It's what if is a what if Thor was a frost giant? Number one, and uh, let me see the talents. Uh, the writer was Ethan Sachs, and the uh, artist is Mike Michelle Brandy. And uh, so yeah, this is um this what if um issue really wasn't expecting it to be interesting, but it turned out it kind of was when I started reading it. It was mainly of it was about um if um the frost giants had killed Odin, and they were to uh raise um Thor Odin's son to become their their son their their child the frost giant's child so um they also had loki in there and he looked more like a it was kind of interesting he looked more like a frost giant than a human 
like he was he this Loki was different. And um he uh the forest giant raises both Loki and, and Thor and he also did uh capture Freya and <clears throat> put her in a cell and um Loki started becoming jealous because uh the the frost giant started um started admiring and have for having a like admiration for like Thor as like the better son and chose him to have their meteor and like he was like a it's like more like like if Norman Osborn was was favoriting Peter Parker over Harry, it was something like that, and Loki was getting jealous, and he went to the prison where uh, Freya was and started bonding with Freya like it was his mother, like she, which she did in the movie. I remember they had like a some sort of bond, and I thought that was pretty interesting that they had the bonding like they had in the. In the Marvel and universe, I'm not sure they had a relationship in the in the six and six universe. Him and Freya, but I remember in the movie they do. Um, but yeah, so <clears throat> uh, once uh, the Frost Giant, like the father, finds out that that uh, that Loki had ended up freeing Freya, and they had this conflict and argument, and they end up. <clears throat> Loki, Loki is of killing the frost giant, the father, and um, I think was it? So yeah, and Thor ends up accidentally killing his own mother, and and it's all it's just Loki and Thor fighting each other, and they decided not to to fight each other because they still care for each other, so they went their separate ways. So yeah, I thought I just really liked the the interesting concept to see something different and I really did like that even though there were certain things that were different, some things remained the same, like Freya's and Loki's um relationship, like their mother and son relationship. I did like that aspect. And the art was really well it was really well nicely done and it was pretty much detailed. I did like the art a lot. And so, yeah, I really did like how this issue was played out. Cool. And what did you uh, what did you score this one? I would give it a uh, eight point five out of ten. Okay. So, yeah. So and uh, and I forgot <clears throat> to put in the announcement. I need to put in the uh, in the YouTube video posting. Uh, so again, this is a uh, spoiler review show. So we are gonna. I mean. Oh. Segment number one, we're going to run down six of the books that we read from the shipping week of 24 October uh, and talk about them in detail, including what review scores we would have given them. Um, Then we're going to talk about the two best comic books that we read this week. So one, Stephen's best thing he read and the one best thing that I read. And then we're going to talk about honorable mentions, which would have been any comics that we would have given an 8.0 or above. So let's keep trucking. Old Lady Harley, again... (laughs) <laughs> Similar to Spider Man, why are we doing this? So, uh, 
So old lady Harley is uh, has a, is a, the premise is that at at some point in history, um, in the current timeline, I guess Harley kills Harley loses it, uh, and, and she's a she's a hero at the time, but she loses it and kills the penguin. I guess this is still in the shtick where she owns like this property on the waterfront on Coney Island, and it's an apartment building that she rents out to people and tries to help the tenants of her property uh, find the straight and narrow. Um, so she kills the penguin. She feels vast remorse. or Actually, what she feels is that she she's no longer a hero. It's not, it slides her back to the side of being a villain. She takes off to find herself, wounds up being found by the Joker, and I guess takes off on a life of maybe not necessarily crime, but at least mayhem. We then time jump 20 or years or so into the future. They say decades later. I, I think they say decades later. I don't think they say specifically two decades later. Um, they say decades later, uh, yeah, and, uh, and we flash forward to where she is in her present life, running around with a guy named the Red Tool, I think he's called. Yeah, it's Red Tool. Okay, so uh, there's problems I have with this whole thing. It's This is... And, and it... It's probably a little unfair because probably probably this comic was never made for me in the first place. Um, it is a slightly, I guess, satirical take on the character Harley, um, and almost kind of an elseworldish tale of exploring, you know, a possible timeline. This is kind of like that Star Trek episode uh, where you see them pop into another dimension or go somewhere else in the timeline, and they see themselves, and they're, you know, they they aren't quite the same people uh, that. That they've actually become, but it, but at the end of the day, it's a throwaway story because it's it's a tale of what could happen. It's not really in continuity. Um, so the talent on this issue is uh, Frank Thierry uh, wrote the story, Anaki Miranda on art, Eva De La Cruz on colors, and Dave Sharp on letters. We're gonna see Dave Sharp on letters uh, a number of times in our reviewed rundown this week. Um, man, this issue kind of didn't do a lot for me. There are some neat little kind of things like they. Uh, um, it, I guess in the future they have uh, cloned Cat Grant, and so Cat Grant basically does uh, all of the news on all of the news networks. And so, um, as the person is channel surfing, watching the news, it's either one network and it's all Cat Grant, or it's multiple networks with Cat Grant clones covering all of them. Um, but uh, but she's in various situations. Apparently, zombies are a thing in the future, um, as you would think that they would be. Uh, so zombies are brought up a couple times. Um, I, I will say, you know, the, the artwork was, the, the artwork is, is good. There's, there's one scene here on this, uh, again, kind of on this warehouse, in this warehouse district on Coney Island, which has this beautiful black, uh, background. I guess that's, uh, that's De La Cruz doing the colors, um, and, and the scene of, uh, of Harley choking the penguin to death. Uh, good emotes in the face as she's kind of horrified at what she's done. And then what I really love is there's a, there's a whole page uh, of horizontal panels uh, where it's black and white and then the only color you have on the page is Harley's, uh, is the red parts of Harley's outfit and the backgrounds of the lettering box. Uh, again, Dave Sharp doing a great job on, on, on lettering uh, across a couple books this week. Uh, and again, good, great emotes on, on Harley's face in the bottom panel. Um, but then it's just kind of a little... Uh, there's a certain style of book. A lot of times, a, a, a future apocalyptic book um, has really 
great art, but it's just art displaying chaos and randomness and uh, and like broken civilization. And it's it's hard to grasp how good it is just because of the types of scenes that are rendered. Um, and that's kind of where this is a little with uh, with Miranda's art. Um, you know, there's there's a couple opportunities uh, to do some creature work because again, it's the future, so you have a lot of kind of monsters. Uh, it's not really particularly great creature work in comparison to um, you know a lot of the other artists that we've seen, uh, particularly uh, in the last few years um, with a lot of the monster comics that have come around. The, we we talked a, a few weeks ago about when I think DC does these uh, kind of goofy one-liners that reference Marvel characters, which shouldn't exist in the DC universe. Um, and then you go back to these time periods where there's a, a discussion that's like, well, back like in the 70s where like Marvel and DC would kind of nudge-nudge each other um, until everything got corporate and the lawyers came in and uh, and now, you know, there's, there's extreme prejudice rendered, you know, for anybody who, you know, sullies anybody's IP. But, uh, but Harley has a line in here where basically she, she, She's talking about heroes. She's talking about people who comic book characters who have died, uh, but then been resurrected and come back. And she makes a line about the the redhead who controls minds. Um, you know, directly talking about Jean Grey. So, uh, yeah, that that was pretty funny. Yeah, you know, and it's it, and it's a little risky, right? Because it's Harley Quinn, so you expect some, <clears throat> some silliness. Uh, I will say, um, you have Azrael show up later in the book, uh, but it's an Azrael clone. Uh, so there's a big fight. Fight choreography wise, again, it's it's hard because I because I, I think it's deliberate, right? You have you have so many clones on screen that you really lose track of the action. And you can't really tell what's going on. And again, it's a typical theme on this show where we where we ding artists for like nonsensical uh, fight choreography, uh, where you have kind of the goofy 1970s comic book thing where um, you know from from one panel to the next panel, the the two combatants seem to have gotten into a position that you're like. How in the hell did they ever get to that position from like where they just were? Um, this one, you kind of lose the thread on the combat. So, but again, I think it's intentional, but I struggle with it. Um, and uh, but I do. I think what is cool at the very end is you have uh, Batman Beyond show up. Now I don't know which Be- Batman Beyond this is. I personally like uh, the the variant of Batman Beyond where they put Tim Drake in the suit. Um, you know, in the future, uh, but this, but this may also be what was the what's the actual guy Terry McGinnis. Terry McGinnis, right? Um, yeah. so it's either you think it's either Terry or Tim. The other possibility is that it's possibly Bruce because there's lots of references to basically that Bruce has kind of become the ruler of Gotham um, and, and and has eliminated all crime. So it's just a book that I'm like, I don't know that it goes anywhere, and I don't know why we're doing it, and I don't know why I would care or why I would be interested. Again, I try to not malign comics too much for the that, that how I feel about the book strategically and the greater continuity of the DC Universe, but as far as a Harley Quinn story, old, old, like old, old lady Harley isn't significantly different than like present day Harley. And if that difference isn't there, then I don't know why we would tell this story. Um, I don't know. Did you read this by any chance? Yeah, I did. I just didn't enjoy it that much. Uh, it looked like it's just, I think it's going to be a jab at Marvel's old man, Logan. Right. 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 right, right. 
yeah, if, if they're kind of, if, if, if again, again, if it's satire, right, if they're deliberately poking fun. Now, this is going to be, this is the first book in a theme, I, I think, throughout this week, because we have two other, it's kind of, it's really, we need to have a discussion about how our poll list went up this way, because we, we had a very strong theme of, of books that were nonsense in the mix, um, mm-hmm. and again, I, I think that very much colored my perspective on this week, and it's just kind of weird that across Marvel and DC, um, that all of these books would have come out in the same week. Uh, so I scored this issue a uh, 6.5 out of 10, um, and this was the third comic that I read out of my stack this week. Uh, again, I, I, I was as lukewarm on it as I was about Spider-Geddon. A lot of the same questions, why are we doing this? What difference does it make and why would I care? Um, but I did feel like Miranda's art is very detailed and it's really good-looking art. Um, you know, and, and, and again, that, that, that artist, and I'm, I'm saying that artist, and I don't know if, that's, if this is a, a man or a woman, um, but uh, I, I, th- they were definitely contending with some scenes which are not your typical superhero capes kind of scenes, right? She does a lot of... Um, uh, up, you know, post-apocalyptic backgrounds and things like that, but then she all they they also have to handle the, the superhero capes and tight stuff. So so that was a, a little. Molina had to handle some weird backscapes as well, um, but just as I finished each issue, you know, I I felt I felt like I was more impressed by uh, Miranda's art uh, on Old Lady Harley. Let's talk about the next kind of nonsense book that we both read. Oh, yeah, that was, this book is nonsense, too. <laughs> freaking Moon Knight number tw- number 200. So uh, do you, I can't remember if I put this on from, from yeah, my list t- or yours. Uh, oh, I, I had it on my full list. Yeah. Uh, it was the writer's Mac Bemis, and the artist Paul Davidson, and... And those the colors are Jason Barrow, Jeff Lemire. Is that that many people in colors? <laughs> I don't know. But... Well, I, th- I think this was, so. This was a slightly oversized oh. issue at thirty-two pages. Um, I think there was a lot. Yeah, because because you, you had you had Davidson on art, but then you had Jason Burroughs, Jeff Lemire, and Bill Sankovich uh, as guest artists. I suspect that those guys did like a page or two. Uh, maybe of scenes from when they were each on the, you know, on a Moon Knight comic. Yeah. Um, may have been, you know, what... what oh, yeah, they did have multiple different artists in yeah. that book. Yeah. Yeah. Um, It was a lot of going on in this book. Uh, the story was just... The story was with um, Moon Knight talking. He ends up meeting up with... Uh, raw and the truth and they end up getting arrested and what is it for some weird reason and sun king yeah the sun king that's what it's all about and he ends up they ends up they end up going out of um raw ends up getting out of prison and moon knight brings him over to his house his house to meet his wife and his child and they end up talking to each other and Moon Knight's um I think his I'm not sure if his girlfriend or his wife but uh they she doesn't like Ra the Sun King and she doesn't like that he's 
Moon Knight thinks that he has been convinced that he's turned into a good person. And they <clears throat> they end up talking to each other. He talks to his daughter, gets to know his daughter a little bit. And they all they go off to uh fights. Um I forgot the villain's name, but it was um it was um Moon Knight's uncle. They went to go fight off, which is like um some Nazi. Yeah, his father were I mean not his father, his uncle was a Nazi was a Nazi um I guess yeah, he's a Nazi, that's all I would say. But um yeah, they they end up fighting his his army and and then at the end they 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 kill off Truth and and Moonlight's uncle and then they end up putting Rob back into prison to I guess redeem himself and that's how it ends. But uh, this issue was really uh. It was really all over the place. I did not like it. I would actually give it like around a five to a six out of ten. It was just, it was just way too much. Like they really try to make Ra into a good guy, and like in the whole in, in the span of one issue, which does not work for for me. It's like they didn't have good character development. It's just. He's just a bad guy, and bam, the next page, he's a good guy, which doesn't make any sense to me. That's not how character development works, and I don't, I don't like that he they try to push that character development in in the span of pages. It just well, didn't I, work well with me. And, and I don't even know. I mean, it's so hard to know what the primary point of this is, right? It's a, m- most of the book is is a is a big monologue from Sun King kind of running in the background and popping in, like strung across like every other panel. Mm -hmm. It's a lot of Sun King talking about, talking to Mark about like who he is um, as a man and, and who he's trying to become and why he is the way he is and and why it matters or doesn't matter. And I just look, I look, I'm sorry. I'm a mainstream guy, right? I listen to Mm -hmm. pop music I'm not super into indie movies or foreign films. I'd go see the AAA blockbuster stuff, right? Like, I don't, like, look, there's a point where comics, and I'm just going to say, there's a point where comics get too artsy and, and that it, they, they kind of yeah. undo themselves in their effort to be kind of overly pretentious. That's That's what this comic is to me. It is a super overly pretentious, nonsensical, where the red fern grows like Faulkner kind of effort and I'm just like ah, look well and I think there's a place for that in comics I don't think that that place is in a mainstream Marvel character comic that is the final issue of a run like like none of this stuff makes any sense not not even the ending right at, at the end you know we see Mark dropping off Sun King who I guess is still suffering from mental illness yeah, um, even though I just even though he's portrayed throughout this comic as being the one who's more stable and he's trying to lead Mark to a point of sanity, like, but then like the killer thing is, you know, so he's dropping him off. He he picks up his phone and he calls what appears to be, I guess, his wife to tell her, "Yeah, I've dropped Sun King off. I'm coming home." And then he turns and walks away. 
I have no idea who this guy is in the background watching Mark Spector walk away. And I mean, I, I guess you, I guess they assume that you know most people reading like the issue number two hundred would be people who have been on this run at some point. You would know who that person is, but I mean, it just man. I mean, way to fall flat on a face on a landing. Like, there's a lot of like everybody screaming in this issue, which I've mentioned over the past few weeks. Like, it, it gets to the point where it's like dull. There's this point where like he's it's it's I mean he's in Moon Knight. Like the person in the real world is Moon Knight. But the Moon Knight character is like is like overlaid transparently on top of one one of Mark Spector's personalities. This is in the middle of the fight with Truth, and like it makes it difficult to track like what's going on. I mean, I I I could think that the art is good, but there, there's there's some particularly great panel. Like there's a there's a one page with a with a two part panel that is a zoom in on Sun King's face, and it is. Gorgeous. I mean, in 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 the articulation of of the facial features and the shadow on the wall of Sun King, um, but but then a lot of it, like it's just so weird and like Edward Scissorhands and like crazy that like it just doesn't it doesn't it it makes so little sense that it makes it hard to to consume. Um, I I do I kind of like this this Moon Knight. It's a shame that I'm seeing it for the the first time, and this is the last issue. I kind of like this rendition of the Moon Knight armor, um, which has actual like metal plating on the shin guards and on the forearm um, and, and at the belt. Uh, so, but yeah, like you said, I mean, I, I rated this issue like a 4.0 uh, out of 10. Yeah, it's really bad. And it's just, <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I think I kind of understand why this, this um, series did failed. Cause, uh, to me, uh, I notice that Max Bemis, he's his his psychology on what mental issues are. I don't think he is. That's not his strong suit. And he knew a lot of stuff. He knew a lot of stuff about German history with Nazis and hating the Jews. But when it came to like mental, like knowing things in about mental disabilities, he, he wasn't really. He, it was very weak on that. Yeah. And I could see that it didn't make any sense with Rob just turning with to from a bad guy to a good guy with like a finger snap. It just yeah, and I, didn't I mean, make any sense. And, I, and, I, and I'm not qualified to say how how well he handled the mental illness. Like I think again, I think from that aspect, this was a good book to have in the world. But again, this is one of my quintessential problems with Moon Knight, and it's a shame because Moon Knight Moon Knight is one of my top two Marvel characters ever. Um, but the problem is, is that whenever they have tried to make this topic of Mark Spector and his split personality, first of all, I, 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 I think that that mental illness story, I, I don't, I don't think it can go on as long as that they have made it a shtick, right? Like, at, at, at a certain point, I don't know that that's a comic to read in perpetuity, right? Over these, you know, when, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, these comic book characters live forever, right? And I don't know that that's a, if if the story is just constantly recycling him back through treatment, then the, the character, if, if he has a debilitating mental illness that can never be cured, then the character can never progress. And, mm-hmm. you know, unless you, unless you kind of beautiful mind it, right, and, and give them an exit strategy in a place that they can evolve to, then you're just, you're really recycling the story in a way that, that only gives you, you can't vary. So, uh, yeah, I just, man, 
Yeah, that was that was a rough one, and it's a shame because again, you have a lot of talent on this issue, right? You have you have Jeff Lemire, you have Bill, you got you got Bill Senkovich out of retirement, right? So yeah, it's just rough. I, yeah, it, yeah, not, not a horrible comic, just not the thing that I wanted to see. I think I think Jeff Lemire was better on Moon Knight than Max Bemis, to be honest. Yeah, I can I can definitely see that, and, and Lemire followed up Warren Ellis, right? Yeah, he did. Yeah, I mean, you talk about a tough act to follow. Um, so let's go ahead and move on and talk about the century number five. Uh, this is uh, this is the uh, yet another book and the last one in the review segment that is just kind of about crazy um, and dealing with like mental illness, not necessarily you know either mental illness or just crazy off the track like perceptions of reality. I guess I will say. Uh, so on the century number yeah. five, you have uh, Jeff Lemire writing the story. Uh, we're getting a lot of Jeff Lemire this week. <laughs> uh, Joshua Kassara on art, and that's a big thing that I want to talk about. Rain Barreto on colors, and Travis Lanham on letters. Um, great Scott, the flippin' art in this issue is absolutely flooring. Like, I, I have not, I've never, I don't think I've ever read anything with Kassara on art, and th- this is like graphic novel quality art uh, in this. It, to, to me, it's absolutely amazing, in particular the depth and the richness of the colors um, that he puts in. But again, unlike Spider-Geddon, it's, it's, it's a depth and richness of colors that doesn't lean on on the oversaturation and the kind of the glossy uh, fat, right? This is, I mean, Spider-Geddon looks like, I don't, I don't know if you uh, ever uh, uh, read uh, hard, co- you know, physical issues of comics, um, yeah, I have. Okay, but the, so there was there was a point. Well, in, in the eighties, um, the the glossy page thing was a special printing technique, uh, and those books were more expensive. And, and actually, Marvel and DC didn't do them in their regular ongoings. They only did them for like special event comics or like an oversized issue. Um, so they were something special to get a hold of. Uh, but then, but then there was a transition where uh, all the comics went to that glossy print. Um, and it was one of the periods where uh, the price of comics increased at the time. Uh, Spider Geddon, even though I'm reading it digitally, like feels to me like a glossy page uh, comic from like the the late '80s, early '90s, or maybe that was late '90s that that transition was taking place. This feels like it kind of doesn't lean on that as well. Uh, you get um, you get Billy, who's the the, the arch nemesis of the century. Uh, is in this issue having yeah. lost an arm, so he's he's fighting the Sentry uh, one armed. Um, this is a is this a slightly this is a slightly new or different costume for the Sentry in the deep red, whereas typically he's been in like the mustard yellow. I think the void took over him because he wasn't he was he didn't have that last issue, okay. but this issue the void took over him. And, and that's and that's the mainline part. We want a new costume, I think. Right. And that's the mainline part of the of the sitch in this is that uh, this is a, a a new status quo for the century where rather than feeling constrained or enslaved by the void and therefore uh, unwilling to fully access it or ever to tap into the power of the century, Bob <laughs> has decided that no, maybe the thing to do is to embrace the void uh, and invite it in, and that's what he's done. His power levels are now off the charts. Um, uh, you know, it, it's very interesting. Um, so you have the Avengers in this 
issue show up. Again, this is one of the most powerful renditions of the Avengers that has ever been gathered with Captain Marvel, Iron Man, Thor, uh, uh, She-Hulk, uh, and I would now Roid Rage She-Hulk, right? Savage She-Hulk, kind of, um, now that she's um, kind of uh, presenting more so as the Bruce Banner-style Hulk and Captain America, uh, and... Uh, Tactics, Avengers tactics are a little better this time around. I kind of threw shade at the way they were used in the Immortal Hulk uh, a few weeks ago because they all, like, attacked Hulk one by one. And I'm like, I I think you guys need to dogpile the Hulk. I don't think you're going to beat him going one-on-one. Um, and in this one, we have uh, Jen Walters attack the Sentry. Uh, but then the next uh, next wave of attack is at least Captain Marvel and, uh, and Thor uh, trying to uh, double up on him. But Sentry just kind of bats them away, um, and he flies off and, and fights, uh, what is the guy's name, a Cranio, um, and quickly dispatches yeah. him. Um, but this is really, this is really a, again, another status quo flip where um, it's a big standoff between Sentry and the Avengers, and, and really, I mean, and I think this happens rarely, I mean, these are the Avengers who just recently captured the Hulk, <laughs> right? You know, Macabre, Jekyll, and Hyde, like super powerful Hulk. Yeah. However, in this issue, the Sentry just basically stares them down and says, "You're not. I'm leaving." <laughs> right? You're, yeah, he just bounces. He yeah. just leaves. Yeah, which I think, is so weird. <laughs> which, which I think is really representative of his of his power level, and, and, and to me, it's a, it's an excellent um, it's excellent scripting by Jeff Lemire. You know, basically saying here's here here's a character who is badass enough that he basically even gets the Avengers, and this is an Avengers led by a hot-headed Captain Marvel who basically refuses to stand down to anything, and he basically just stares at them and tells them to stand down, and then takes off. Um, what's really weird to me, strategically in the Marvel line, is this was a five-issue run. Um, I don't know where what's going on with this character, where it's headed. Um, but the, but the closing lines clearly tell me that he is he's not being he's not a chess piece being taken off the board, right? He, the Avengers are saying they expect to they expect him to make his presence known in the Marvel universe. So it's going to be very interesting to see what happens. Um, what I haven't been keeping up with is there's this whole thing. I know that there's stuff going on with Thanos in the Marvel universe. They've resurrected the Infinity storyline in some ways, um, and I, and I wonder if this is positioning Sentry to uh, be. Um, an opposing force to Thanos. I, I don't know, um, but I, I suspect that within the sometime within twelve months we will be re-exposed to the Sentry uh, at this power level to who will kind of come in and, and tip the balance of power uh, in a major mm-hmm. event. I don't, did you read this issue? Yeah, I did read this issue. I was gonna. I think I was supposed to be reviewing it, but oh, sorry. I know it's, it's <laughs> I, okay. Now, now, now that we're reading, we read so much of the same stuff this week that I'm like, I've lost because I didn't put our name. Oh, you it. lost track. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I thought this issue was all right. I just, I just noticed it was going everywhere. It was just like Moonlight and Century was like you know, lucid dream. I mean, like some weird high, like you're high on drugs kind of dream. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a, <laughs> yeah. It's a thing you read after smoking a bunch of pot. So, but uh, but let me ask you though. I I felt as I read this issue, and I read this was this was actually the last issue I read in my stack. Sorry. Yeah. 
Uh, so, I, so, I, so I came to this issue after having to suffer through Moon Knight um, and uh, an old lady Harley. And sorry. So uh, at this podcasting station, I'm sitting right underneath my air conditioning vent. So um, no. that's probably why it's uh, I have bad allergies anyway. But I, I felt like this was markedly more structured. Sorry, and and was it was a, it was a tale of uh, of 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 a twisting of psychological perception, but it wasn't it wasn't so like Stanley Kubrick like that it was like like unintelligible. Um, it was not, it was not a series of like random flashes of color uh, like like those other books were, and to me it markedly stood out. Um, and again, man, I I want to know, and I, I may look this up now. If anybody knows me, like, I'm into comic books and I read them, but I don't tear off a lot to go dig up a lot of extra detail outside of the comic itself. Um, I may flip that script because I, I want to know what this guy, Josh Kassara, is doing next. Like, I'm hoping he has another gig lined up on, a, on, a, on an ongoing comic because what, what he did uh, in this is just... Amazing. Now, part of this, I guess, I should give additional credit is is Rain Barreto on colors as well, uh, but that pairing was just uh, spectacular on art. It, I, I'm pretty sure it probably was the best art that I read that I saw, the best art that I saw this week. Um, and I scored, I actually scored this book uh, an eight point out of ten. And I am not a super huge fan of the century. So, uh, what, what 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 review score did you give the book? I gave it like a six. Because <laughs> it was just kind of weird that uh, that the the century the younger character I forgot his name I think it was Will the uh, Bill yeah Bill yes Bill he was forgotten in the <laughs> in the towards the middle of the issue and right. like he just he fights him and then he fights the Avengers and then he fights um, Cranio cranio all in one issue and it's just and then comes back to the avengers yeah it's a yeah and he just runs off like he just they didn't he doesn't even finish the fight he just quickly runs off so it's like they're packing so much in in one issue yeah and i was i wasn't sure in the in the series i wasn't sure what was happening in centuries had it what was happening in the real world it was kind of hard to decipher that throughout those series yeah, but, yeah. but I, I, I definitely felt less of that than I did in Moon Knight. Yeah. Like in Moon Knight, like every panel, I was like, is this in the real world or is this in Mark Spector's head? I, so I, I guess so the interesting thing as, we, as we're talking through these, right, is I, I definitely felt as, as we read these, you know, we had, we had three kind of psychedelic issues in the stack this week. Old Lady Harley, Moon Knight 200, and Century Number 5. And, and it's interesting because because we both followed kind of separate paths of 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 how these impacted our taste. Um, the way you landed, and, and I definitely and I was wondering this as I was reading through the second man. I was like, I wonder which way he's going to break because I could definitely see that Stephen will like read all three of these issues and kind of lay them all in the same pile and and say like that's not for me. Like you know. Um, yes, you were right. <laughs> uh, and then I wound up breaking the other way. Where, and again, I, I I often wonder if impacts like this 
are tied to the order in which we read the books, which is which is why, like for me, I take my books, I put them in a big, basically randomizer, and the order that I'm going to read them in spits out because I don't, like I, like I deliberately don't want like, like if I have something in my recurring pull list, like Batman, like I don't want to read my Batman comic the first comic every week it comes out, right? I, and I don't want to let it be the last thing I read every time it comes out because eventually that's going to skew my perception of the other books that I'm comparing it to. So, um, so, so, so for these, I broke the other way where having felt that Old Lady Harley was so bad and Moon Knight 200 was even worse, when I hit Century, I was like, oh, this, this is like those other books, but it's done so much better. And I, and I wound up yeah. having higher regard for it, maybe, um, because of where I read it in my stack. So, now you also read Wonder Woman number 57? Yeah, I also read Wonder Woman 57. Yeah, so I, I don't think I originally... I, I think it was me who put this on the list for me, uh, but but do you mind... you want to go ahead and talk through it? Yeah, I could you? talk about it, because yeah. I actually read it too. Um, the writer was James Tani in the fourth, and the artist is Emanuela Lupichan. And the inks is Ray McCarthy, and the colorist is uh, Rumalo Fajo. I'm terrible with these names. Fajaro. Romulo Fajardo. Yeah, Fajardo. Okay, you got it. Yeah, um, this issue was mainly, uh, it was, uh, it was Wonder Woman in the, like, she goes to this like alternate dimension, like and she's in the moon, but like some alternate dimension that she's like in the, I guess in the minds of the witches. I don't know what sure what is this like some weird alternate dimension, some mindscape thing. So, so this is yeah, it's <laughs> it's. I'm realizing as we're talking through it, I'm like, huh, this. Maybe this issue might have been as psychedelic as the other three that we talked about. Yeah, it is kind of like that too. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's some I, I, don't, I don't I don't I don't know. It's it's some I I guess I it was like a I thought of it as like a pocket universe or another plane of reality. Yeah. Um, where, well, and and it, it may be her. It, so it, when you get to the end of it, what it looks like is that this uh, this 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 uh, villain Hec- Hecate, who I think is a I can't remember. It's it, it, yeah, it's one of those witch villains. Yeah, but it's a, but it's somebody. I think I think Hecate is a uh, is a is in Greek mythology as as a yeah. witch god or something or goddess or something like that. But um, but she has possessed Diana's body, so this also may very well just be Diana inside her own head. Yeah, I think that's what mainly was, and what is it? Uh... I, what is it? Um, I noticed that Constantine and Zatanna and Swamp Thing are trying to fight off the control for Black Orchid being controlled by the witches, and and uh, they do end up um, at the end of the issue. They end up. Do fighting off control for Black Orchard and Mar to Dawn, the Native American character, and what is at the end of the issue? Uh, Wonder Woman. She doesn't know that she's dead, but supposedly she's supposed to be dead because throughout the whole issue, she's talking to this this other magician character, 
which I don't really don't know too, I'm not too familiar with. Um, but yeah, they're talking, and then she finds out that she is actually dead, and that's how it ends in the ends as a cliffhanger. And um, I really did like this issue. I honestly would give it like a, a eight out of ten. Because I did like the discussion that Wonder Woman had with the other person that was in the world. They had some interesting um, discussions about the mythology with the witches. And I did like um, Satana talking to Constantine. And she finds out that he has cancer. And I thought that was interesting that... That that they had some discussion about when he when uh, the upside down man was pull, like taking out his blood and stuff uh, and almost killing him in the in the previous issues. Um, Constantine confesses to Satana that he's been having cancer and he needs to find a way to fight off this which these um hexa um, before he ends up getting, before the cancer t- kills him. Yeah. So you, so you landed on this a lot better than I did. So this was this was the second. Oh. <laughs> this was the second book in my stack. Uh, and so, so yeah. So, so again, this is a little bit of this is caught up in in what DC is doing as a company, right? Yeah, and it's it's weird in that I I didn't like I I didn't feel so so we had the Justice League Aquaman crossovers with uh, yeah Drowned Earth, and those feel okay. This is interweaving. This is a Wonder Woman issue that is very much more so a Justice League Dark issue than it is a Wonder Woman issue. I, so it, yeah, it does feel that way. Yeah, so I, I get to the point where I'm like, why? Are, so why are these two different comics? Um, but I mean, you you have the entire Justice League Dark in here. Uh, you know, uh, on on art, uh, you know, there's some there's some gorgeous like backscaping, and when Diana is on whatever is in her own head or in this alternate dimensional plane or whatever, where everything is black and white except her, um, yeah, that stuff looks gorgeous, really great, and and so and take a look at the, correct me if I'm wrong. Is, this is the movie Wonder Woman costume, right? That she's in. Yeah, she's in the movie Wonder Woman okay. costume. Yeah, I thought that was that was pretty interesting. Um, and yeah, and you get this, uh, you get this interaction between Zatanna and uh, why am I forgetting Constantine? And Constantine, uh, I don't, I don't really like. So Constantine has been de-aged. I don't really like care for that. Uh, I don't really like Zatanna with the with the ponytail, which makes her look younger as well. Um, I actually felt like the Constantine having cancer was like, I, I, I feel that's really marginalizing his character, right? Constantine has become, you know, whether you like it or not, as a result of the movie and then the follow on TV series and then yeah. all the fan fervor uh, and him winding up on Arrow and I guess on uh, uh, Legends of Tomorrow, Legends of yeah. Tomorrow, that character has become wildly popular. Yeah, having him reveal that he has cancer, terminal cancer, in in a Wonder Woman comic, I, like do that, do that in Justice League Dark. That's his show, um, <laughs> or better, yeah, 
spin us a Constantine miniseries, right? And bring him back and have him go through that. This just felt very throwaway. Um, and again, we, we always have a problem with does, does, do things in comics have consequence? And it definitely makes me feel like, ah, I don't really know that that means anything. I mean, you get every character from Justice League Dark in here. You get Swamp Thing. You get the, the Detective Monkey. You get, uh, you know, Man Bat. Uh, you get this other character. I think you mentioned this character like a few weeks ago. We didn't really know who she was. You get Manitou Dawn um, in here. Yeah, and they, I know it's a character that one woman saw about as Witchfire. I right, just remember right. it now. Right, well, and then you get Sisterhood of the Slight Hand. Like, you get all these characters piled in here. And I'm like, hey, is this a Wonder Woman comic? Like, I feel like Wonder Woman was hardly in this comic at all. Um, and then, yeah, and, and then you get the whole thing about Diana dying at the end. This, this, that is another, yet another plan. Yeah, I don't think she's dead, but this is, they want to leave that as a cliffhanger, I think. Well, well right, and, and my problem is, and I, and I get it, I know that we reset with Rebirth and everything, but I'm like, isn't she still the god of war, though? Um, no, I don't think she's the, the god of war, I remember in Rebirth, they found a way to get that out of her. Well, at the beginning of Rebirth, she definitely was, yeah. right? Because they made her the God of War at the end of New 52. So, yeah. I, I, I don't know. I just, you know again, the, uh, claim, claiming that Wonder Woman is dead when we know that Justice League just rebooted with Scott Snyder. And his own yeah, movie. I but, can definitely know that Wonder Woman is not yeah, dead. Then, why, why are we they just want to suspense that without even... Yeah. So, for no reason. <laughs> so, so I personally rated this kind of a six point out of out of ten. I just, I, it was it was really disappointing. I, I, Wonder Woman to me, I I haven't always stuck on her ongoing, but uh, she's one of those characters that I have often gravitated towards. Uh, you know when when you know when she when her ongoing constantly struggles, you know, with sales. Um, but I I love how she's used in the DC universe, where you know, like she's the one who kills Max Lord and. Even in the in the Kingdom Come issue, right? Like she's the one who gets like the extreme measures that need to be taken. You know, when when you know while while Clark and Bruce are arguing ethics and morality, right? Wonder Woman is like rolling out to get things done. Um, you know, same thing in Identity Crisis. So I really like that. Uh, but like this, I was really looking forward to picking up a Wonder Woman comic, uh, and I was not. Thrill. And, I, and at the end of the day, I was really not thrilled with it because it wasn't a Wonder Woman comic. It was a Justice League Dark comic. Uh, so, yeah, because it's a crossover with Justice League Dark. Right. I think that's why they did that. Yeah. So we are definitely running over time, I think, in a good way. I think we've had maybe one of the best discussions we've had in the review segment this week. But let's quickly talk about the best thing that we each read this week to Bitra. Uh, Steven, what was your best thing that you read this week? And tell me a little bit about the comic. Um, the the best book I read this week was um, Star Wars Dot the Opera, number twenty five. The writer was Simon Spur Spurrer, and the artist was Kevin Kevin Walker. Um, so yeah, I did. I really did enjoy this issue. It's it's about Dot the Opera trying to escape the the prison planet that she's in, and she she. Darth Vader's after her, and he, uh, he, she makes, she decides to make the Imperial Guard forget who she is, but it didn't work because their love was was stronger than than I guess 
than ever than they thought it was. Like, because the thing is, uh, Dr. Alfred fell in love with this Imperial Guard, and they've been having this constant relationship. Like, they met each, they've been running into each other and having kisses and sex, sex. And, um, so yeah, they're, they've been, he, she tried to save her. Um, Dr. Afra and and she decided to like tell she told Dr. Afra to erase the love that she ever had with her and she decided to, they tried to do that through the machine but it didn't work because the love was way too strong for her to even forget that she ever fell in love with her so Dr. Afra ends up leaving but she ends up tr- the Imperial Guard ends up trying to fight Darth Vader and um, Sana, one of I think Han Solo's ex girlfriends, saves her, and Dada Afra meets up with this alien that was with her in the prison, and finds out that that uh the alien tries to uh put her and Triple Zero's minds together, like a not like trying to like put out he. He ends up knocking out Dr. Afra and then he puts a a, a, a bomb in Dr. Afra's head and he and he puts a a bomb in Triple Zero's head. So they if they are like feet away from each other, they end up they'll both end up dying. So there's a lot that went on in this issue. I would give it a a nine point five out of ten. It was really well done. I did like the interactions with Dr. Afra and the Imperial Guard. I forget I keep forgetting her name, but uh but yeah, I do like that her I did like that that her love was for her was really strong that even the machine couldn't erase the love they had for each other. I thought that was interesting and I also did like the 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 darkness of finding out that Dr. Afra trusted this guy in the prison and finds out that this person was someone else and he put a bomb in both triple zero and her dot the offer's head and it's just kind of messed up because dot offer hates triple zero she he's been trying to kill her throughout the whole entire series and now she's stuck with someone who's trying to kill her right and i thought that was crazy did you feel that that uh cut too close to like suicide squad yeah, it does feel like Suicide Squad because now they both have a bomb in their brains. Right, right. <laughs> so, so now, now they can't separate each other. And she hates this guy with a passion because the, the guy, Triple Zero is trying to kill her. Oh, it's a bomb where, like, if the two of them get too far apart. Yeah, okay, they end up right. both dying. Okay, all right. There was a movie like that, like, back in the 80s. It was like, it was like a thing where, like, it, like prisoners were, were put together in pairs and then they all they all had collars, and if you like got too far from like your partner, then your collar would explode and blow your head off. So I can't remember who was in that movie. But uh, now is Doctor Afra one of your regular recurring pulls? Are you reading that every? Yes, I read that regularly. I really like the series. It's um, Karen Gillan does a he he was writing a series before he created that character and right. So when he was he a- gave it to, he gave it to Simon Sparrow when he after he started writing Star Wars. Okay. Because he, he, he created Offer when he was writing Darth Vader, right? Yeah. Okay. 
and she had she was a very popular character that yep. ended up getting her own spinoff. Yep, yep, I definitely remember that. Uh, so, so my comic for the best thing that I read this week to Bertra is uh, Titans number twenty eight, which is not one of my regularly recurring pulls. Uh, written by Dan Abnett, art by uh, a, a very, I guess I would think is a very popular. I mean, a, a guy that may be coming into his own. Um, after doing a, a lot of uh, work in comics, uh, Clayton Henry uh, on art, uh, Marcelo Maialo uh, on colors, and then Dave Sharp again on letters, uh, doing great work. Um, so, so one of the reasons I liked this issue was uh, probably predominantly for the a, a bit of the plot. Right, this is a getting back together of the band. Uh, we had. A little bit of this effect going on in Justice League Odyssey, right? Where you have a, a reuniting, re- reunification, reuniting uh, between Cyborg and Starfire. Even though continuity is kind of broken and supposedly they haven't worked together before. But clearly in Justice League Odyssey, they, the two of them know each other very well. Um, in this issue, we bring back Aqualad, who now is referred to as Tempest. Um, there are a couple character design things I don't like here. Like they've done something with Raven, um, where she's not like the dark, like, sullen, uh, angsty uh, character that she has historically been. Again, she looks kind of de-aged and looks... She actually looks like a teenager, while the rest of the Titans appear to be, like, in their, like, mid to late 20s. Um, but we get a very, uh, w- like, warlike uh, Aqualad, which I really like, right? It, kind of taking on the the same thing that you would expect from Arthur Curry um, if if his homeland of Atlantis were under attack. Uh, and that's kind of what uh, I feel like Tempest slash Aqualad here uh, emotes. Um, a lot of good, good facial work by Clayton Henry, uh, showing the emotion and passion of uh, I was about to say of the Avengers of the Titans. Um, I love Marcelo Maiello's uh, colors on this, particularly when he gets a hold of Miss Martian. Uh, and when you, it's neat that you know when when Miss Martian and Beast Boy are next to each other, that they're slightly different shades of green. Um, so, uh, you know, that attention to detail of differentiating those, um, like, like really, uh, well done kind of ultra, ultra realistic work, uh, on art, um, particularly when he, I mean, like he, this dude can draw a damned Aqualad, right? Like, I mean, it's really great work. I also didn't know Aqualad had eye blasts, but apparently that's a thing. So, uh, and I've talked a little bit about how some comics as of late are doing this thing where... The, the industry got super wrapped around the axle a few years ago about doing thought bubbles, and they went away. Um, so letterers have been trying to figure out different ways to, to do thought bubbles but not make them thought bubbles. Um, and so Donna Troy has a lot of exposition in this issue, and it's done really well in, in, in her thoughts being in black boxes with gold lettering, uh, which is very prominent and very easy uh, to see. Dave Sharp does a great job in not falling down the hole that some letterers do uh between him working with 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 the colorist and artist um about like these boxes then then they become really difficult to uh, understand like because again there's no there's no key code in the back of the comic right there's nothing that says hey you know the the black boxes with the gold lettering are donna troy and the blue boxes with the yellow lettering is you know aqualad like you're supposed to figure that out um in this issue uh they go and attack uh, what apparently is an, ev- an invading fleet. Again, this is part of the Drowned Earth uh, storyline. It is another prelude, uh, Drowned Earth prelude, similar to 
the who, who, which one was the prelude? Was Aquaman a prelude, and then Justice League was the formal start of Drowned Earth? I think. I think they all preludes, and then. Okay, and then the next. That, yeah, yeah. The next issues would be the actual right. start. Yeah, so they had three preludes. Yeah, so so we go through this reunification, and and there's this, this there's this discussion, these asides between uh, Aqualad and Donna Troy about. Uh, Nightwing having been shot and uh, Roy Harper having been killed in the pages of uh, Heroes in Crisis um, and, and and Donna admits to Aqualad that she hasn't told the rest of the team about Roy Harper yet because um, she just doesn't want them to deal with it right now, she wants them to stay focused uh, so they take off and go uh, attack this uh, invading fleet um, which I think comes from the uh, I forget what they're called, the, the, tri- the Triumvirate of Sea Lords, which are the big bads uh, who are behind Drowned Earth. Uh, they wind up running into one of them there, Drogue. Uh, again, kind of in similar vein to, like, the Moreland character and the Inheritors, right? These guys are all tanks that are super powerful, and, like, even the Titans can't take this guy down. Uh, they wind up leaving Aqualad behind, um, and... Uh, and he is blown out of a ship uh, above the surface of the Earth, uh, and, and and takes a uh, several you know mile fall to the surface. We don't know what winds up with him, um, but Donna, you know, decides to get the team out of there at that point. Um, again, really sharp art on this. Uh, there's a it's a sci-fi setting, so there's tons of light blooms and lens flares and all sorts of stuff going off. Uh, good old-fashioned uh, sound effects, you know, a big shkoom in the background. Uh, some of these fights are going on. Um, story-wise, at least from Abnett, uh, and it's, it seems like Dan, like this whole Drowned Earth thing is something that Abnett is orchestrating because he's on so many of the books as the writer um, between mm-hmm. Titans and, uh, and Aquaman. Um, and, the, and, then, and then cutting across, like, recent crossover issues with Suicide Squad and whatever. Uh but uh, yeah, so I was—I actually really liked this issue. Uh, like I said, I gave it an 8.0. Uh, again, there, there still wasn't anything like super spectacular. 8.0 is my minimum threshold, you know, for like really good comics. Um, and there wasn't anything above that this week. Uh, why don't you give me your rundown on your honorable mentions? Again, we're going really long tonight. All right, the honorable mentions is is Batgirl number 28. The Silencer number ten, the the Terrifics number nine, Return of the Warring number two, and uh, Spider Gwen, Ghost Spider number one. That's it. And then my honorable mention for my stack was uh, the Century number five, which we talked about earlier. Uh, so go ahead and run me down uh, through your. So that wraps up our coverage for the books that we read that shipped the twenty fourth of October. Let's quickly do the rundown for what we're going to be reading in the upcoming week for the books that ship. The 31st of October, so you kind of get a heads up on what we're going to be talking about on What's Your Issue, episode number five. Steven, take it away with your with the rundown of your upcoming pull list. Um, I'm going to... Um, my pull list is Old Man Logan, number 50, which is the final issue. I'm definitely going to be reviewing that next week. Um, then there's Extermination, number four. Old Man Hawk Guy, number 10. Justice League. Dark and Wonder Woman, The Witching Hour number one, and Justice League Aqu- slash Aquaman, Drown the Earth number one. Yeah, so we should mention, uh, listen to this rundown with, with 
an eye towards the fact that uh, that next week is a fifth week. I mean, this week is a fifth week. Uh, so um, there's not a ton of books. Sh- well, theoretically, there's not a ton of the books shipping, but Marvel is shipping a crap ton of books. But they're all like like not like mainstream continuity things. So um, there's actually a bunch of th- there. Surprisingly, there's a lot of things to pick from this week. But there, in some places, you get into tight corners where. Um, as a result, I will also be reading Justice League, Aquaman, Drown Earth number one, because none of my DC books that I normally read are shipping next week. Uh, so I'll be reading Justice League, Aquaman, Drown Earth number one. I will also be reading Justice League, Dark, and Wonder Woman, The Witching Hour number one. Uh, I'm going to pick up West Coast Avengers number three, uh, which is an old callback to one of my favorite comics of the 80s. Uh, but I have not had time to show that any interest in its reincarnation, so I will check that out. Despite having a, an incredibly low opinion of Black Panther number three or four. I, I'm surprised you're picking that off again. Yeah, because remember I specifically said I normally don't eliminate a book from contention until I get two drop-in issues that like I'm like, okay, if, if, if that comes up out of the randomizer as like another drop-in issue, I'm just not reading it. Um, and I said the last time Black Panther number four was bad enough that I wasn't even going to give it the two issues. I'm going to go ahead and give it the two issues, but also partially because it's a fifth shipping week and there's not a ton else to pick from, right? Um, I'm going to go read Uber Invasion number 17 from Avatar Press. Avatar Press is a a small publisher that publishes a lot of books from... uh, I can't remember the name now. I don't think it was a Warren Ellis book, but there there was a guy who started off the... um, Man, now I'm losing track on it. But it was like an, it was a, like an ultraviolet comic that uh, spawned a few uh, variants, and that was kind of the shtick of Avatar Press. But they also do uh, this um, this uh, war comic oriented uh, series of books, uh, and they float, they come and go, they go on hiatus, and, and then they bring them back. So I'm gonna go read Uber Invasion number seventeen uh, from uh, your pull list, Stephen. I'm gonna also read Extermination number four and Old Man Hawkeye number ten. Uh, so those are the issues that we'll be talking about next week. Um, again, you know, we triage the agenda uh, right up until right before showtime. So uh, that is the global list of what we'll be picking from. Again, uh, we will be doing a review segment covering six of those comics. And then we'll talk about the two comics that were uh, the best thing we read that week for each of us. And then go on to talk about the following week's uh, honorable, well, we'll talk about honorable mentions and then go on and talk about the following week's poll. So, Stephen, anything else that you uh, wanted to go over tonight? No, there's something else. All right. So, uh, thanks so much. I apologize that we ran a little bit long, but I think that's because it was kind of a weird week that we really had to parse and decompose throughout this discussion of all the uh, psychedelic books and, and, and comics of questionable points of, of perspective and perception. So, um, weird that the industry just kind of coalesced around that uh, that th- that theme uh, in one single shipping week. So, thanks so much for joining us for this episode of What's Your Issue. Again, we are seeing the uptake uh, on YouTube, uh, on uh, SoundCloud, and on Pocket Cast. The interest has been amazing. I'm absolutely flabbergasted on iTunes as well because Stephen then takes the show and distributes it on iTunes. Um, I am. We are really appreciative that there's such an interest in listening listening to a weekly show covering uh, comics, um, and not just Marvel and DC, but also the the tier two and tier three pubs, and every once in a while in indie. Um, we I couldn't thank you guys enough for listening in. 
if you want to get in touch with us, hit us up on our Twitter account at E2KG Network. Uh, that is probably the best way to get us feedback or ask us any questions or you know, give us a comic that you want us to both take a look at and talk about uh, in the review segment or just as an additional aside in the rundown. Uh, on behalf of, uh, uh, of GearWorks.com, the E2KG Network podcasting channel on YouTube and the Rounding Off Infinity Gaming channel on YouTube, uh, and my co-host Stephen Laura, my name has been Agastically Stamus. This has been episode number four of What's Your Issue? recounting our perspectives on the books that shipped the 24th of October. We look very forward to seeing you guys for episode number five, where we've been talking about the books that will ship this week uh, on Halloween, actually. Uh, So uh, until next time, happy hunting. Take care of yourselves and stay safe out there. That's going to do it for us. We're out. All right.